0: with over 25 years of experience integrating mental health and spirituality, the author of Reclaiming Authenticity, When Ancestors Weep, and Redeeming the Bereaved. Here is Dr. James Houck. Everybody. Good afternoon, everybody, wherever you are at this time. It could be morning where you are, it could be evening, but uh, wherever and whatever. But welcome to Reclaiming Authenticity, finding one's courage to reclaim that which has always been in you. Very excited to be with you here today. Got a great show planned for you, a lot of good, uh, hopefully some uh, thinking points. You know, just uh, I always like to take things that we are, we're always taught or told about ourselves and just, are you sure about that? And so this show is is certainly uh, one of those cases. So, But uh, as I said, very happy to be with you here today and each and every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, noon Pacific Standard Time, and like I said, any other time in between. And uh, each and every week, these broadcasts uh, really focus on the integration of our spirituality and our mental health. And I put that all within the context of our relationships with ourselves and others and God or the divine. I'm Dr. James Houck. And if you would like more information about me or to leave me your comments about today's show, just invite you to visit the website. It's www.bbsradio.com forward slash reclaiming. Authenticity. All one word there. And if you would like to call in and be part of the show later, that number is 888-627-6008. That's 888-627-6008. And I will be taking your calls after the break. Well, before we actually get into the show today, I wanted to uh, just remind you that uh, all these broadcasts, all these shows are podcasted. In case you want to go back and listen again, uh, you can go back into the archives and listen to the previous shows that you missed. Or if for some reason you can't um, stay with me the full hour today, um, you know, feel free to go back in once these shows are, are uploaded and posted um, to go back in and listen again. I certainly appreciate when people do that. And I also wanted to invite you to tune in to a special 100th episode broadcast, which is coming up in two weeks, on Friday, June the 10th. You know, again, 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, right here on bbsradio.com, Station 1. Now, this is not only going to be my 100th episode it will also mark the beginning of my third year broadcasting with BBS radio and um, thought about this for a long time. And <clears throat> what I you know, wanted to make this broadcast extra special is that I thought it would be fun for you, the studio audience, to pick the topic of discussion on the air that day. Anything you would like to hear or talk about related to the integration of mental health and spirituality, just drop me a few lines at www.bbsradio.com forward slash reclaiming authenticity. Well, you always know that at the beginning of these broadcasts, I always like to uh, go back and just... uh, kind of bring new members, new audience members up to speed, um, you know, from where I'm coming from in terms of exactly what is reclaiming authenticity. And, uh, you've heard me uh, say before, those who have been listening you know, to me for a while that, um, You know, reclaiming authenticity pretty much comes from uh, just deep-seated beliefs uh, in myself uh, that all of us uh, come into this world already equipped and graced with everything that we need for this life in terms of what is our giftedness. Or what, is, what are our skills? What are our talents and strengths and character traits and so forth? The very, very best parts of ourselves. And certainly more than that, exactly who we are as souls. Because you see, it, it really doesn't matter who we are in terms of where we were born or into what family we were placed. We are always going to be in uh, relationships, you know, because our world is just filled with relationships. And indeed, we are social beings. Um, you know, we are just created for that capacity. And uh, we often live our lives just trying to make sense of our world, whether our world is just within our own family or our neighborhood or, you know, the, uh, the town, the state, the, the, the nation, the world. Uh, just trying to find and make sense of our world. And we try to find our place in the world. And it's also within the context of these relationships that, ironically, we do experience a tremendous amount of pain and suffering. There is that potential for that. And these could be anything from overt acts of betrayal and cruelty uh, that somebody has done to us or, to be honest with ourselves, if we have you know, committed those acts of betrayal and cruelty or hurt somebody's feelings or, or something. Um Or sometimes we're simply being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Uh, Many, many people, including ourselves, bear the scars of physical, psychological, emotional, and spiritual woundedness. But uh, here is the true irony of life. Um, That how we often receive our deepest physical, emotional, psychological, and even spiritual wounds in relationships okay and the tragedy is that how you know often do we go along in this life and perhaps due to some unpleasant experiences we tend to hide the very best parts of ourselves and we tend to hide our giftedness or let's say we don't allow others to see our passions or we we push way 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 down inside of us our skills or our own uniqueness you know we hide that so others cannot see it You know, all because, you know, we were told that we would never amount to anything or that we're never going to measure up to another person's standards or whatever other little voice we heard telling us that there's really nothing special to us. And yet we can discover our greatest healing, strength, peace, forgiveness and love through healthier relationships. So, it all comes back to our relationships. And these relationships just might be within our own families. They could be with our coworkers or our friends. Um, You know, because uh, we are in relationships with others, you know, and once we are able to find healthier relationships and we find our healing and we're being transformed and are transforming uh, sooner or later. We are also going to transform others, you know, by one degree or another, by our presence, grace, and understanding. We're going to start to deal with ourselves differently. We're going to start to deal with others differently, and so forth. And, uh, you know, since we are healing and seeing ourselves differently, we will inevitably see others differently and treat one another differently. But first, Forgiveness, kindness, compassion, love, understanding begin with how we treat ourselves. Because whenever we are more compassionate with ourselves, we then can be more compassionate with others. And when we are forgiving of ourselves, well, that we find that we can be more forgiving with others. And when we're able to live in gratitude with ourselves, we will then discover how this really opens up our hearts to see and live in gratitude with others. So all in all, transformation begins with us, but it radiates out and touches all relationships. And so that's what reclaiming authenticity is is all about, reclaiming those things, that which has always been in us. Or as uh, Richard Rohr puts it, Your true self is who you are and always have been in God. Well, welcome to today's broadcast. It's just simply entitled, From Within and Without, How History Repeats Itself. Well, you often wonder why you keep making the same mistakes over and over again, and I'm right there with you. You know, we think we've learned the lesson. We just, and like, here we go again. You know, just old patterns seem to be uh, popping up all the time. I mean, we say something hurtful or we do something, you know, hurtful to another, or even we keep falling into the patterns of negative thinking and assumptions. Well, you know, I'm just going to share just a few of these with you. Maybe they sound familiar, okay? We may think that... Well, if it happened once, it's going to happen again. Or, why is everybody so mean to me? What did I do? Or, why do I have such a hard time making and keeping friends? Or even holding down a job? Why do I keep getting myself into such messes? Why can't I get myself out of these same old troubles? And so forth, and so forth, and so forth. Well, whether it is a blind spot in our lives or an inability to recognize our old thought patterns, or maybe we are unable to learn from our past, we do keep making the same mistakes over and over again. And this concept is is nothing new to history. I mean, this has been going on for a long, long time. In fact, um, people are often fond of uh, saying a very important quote but have little understanding of the historical context or who set it down through history. And it's this. The Irish statesman Edmund Burke, and he lived somewhere in the mid-late 1700s, is often misquoted as having said, those who don't know history are destined to repeat it. And yet the Spanish philosopher George Santayana who lived in the late 1800s, even into the early 1900s, he's credited by saying, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. And the one that I think most people quote today actually comes from the British statesman Winston Churchill, and he used this very same statement in a 1948 speech when he was in the House of Commons. And he says that those that fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Okay. Well, if we sit with that a while, you know, it's just like, okay, we get it. Very powerful lesson right there. But what if we flip this perception around just a bit and just for a moment, just a moment, okay? Consider the notion that perhaps history is never the part that really repeats itself, okay? Because what if every single, let's say, historical moment is distinct from those that have come before? Where where then is the repetition? You know, where then is the duplication of the same mistakes and patterns and behaviors coming from? You see, maybe it's not history that repeats itself. But rather, maybe it's the fact that we keep passing down the old perceptions and patterns that keep getting fitted into those circumstances. You know, uh, if nothing changes, it just might be because our responses and reactions, our expectations or fears or assumptions about familiar events, those things cause us to repeat our mistakes over and over again. And unless we change from the inside, those external realities will continue to manifest our inner reality. And this is typically why certain lessons are repeated over and over and over again until we finally learn those lessons and make the necessary changes. Well, welcome to the Law of Correspondence. Okay, I'm not sure if you've uh, uh, you know ever heard of the law of correspondence or not, but these are one of the uh, 12 basic, or I should say the 12 universal laws that are out there. And um, depending on who you talk to or what you can want to Google, you know, some say there's high as 30 universal laws, some say there's only four, some say there's only eight. Well, I'd like to meet somewhere in the middle and just consider, you know, the 12 universal laws. And, uh, one of the laws is the law of correspondence. And basically the law of correspondence states that what happens around us that, well, that's a direct reflection of what is happening within us. You see, in in other words, your internal sense of who you are determines your external environment. In fact, how you're feeling is also then what you are manifesting. Think of it this way on a, on a grander scale, you know, the, the patterns that repeat throughout the universe and on a personal level, our reality is a mirror of what's happening inside us at the moment. So think of it this way as above, so below, or as within, so without. So uh, an example of this would be that uh, we all know that there is great turmoil and anger and strife in the world today. I may mean, just turn on any news station and it's right there. Well, the law of correspondence would say that this is merely a reflection of what's going on inside of people, what's going inside on in their hearts. And to be quite honest, it doesn't take a rocket science, scientist to understand that people have much turmoil inside themselves today. You know, how many people are struggling with anger or their own turmoil or strife, their own disappointment, confusion and pain and frustration and betrayal and so on and so forth? And how many times is that often manifested out in the world as a result? And so this um, often ends up, you know, being an endless cycle of one feeding the other, you know, leaving people to question, you know, what came first? Was it my anxiety or my anger or my contempt? Or did the hostilities and crime and violence that we hear about on the news every day, does that come first? Well, it's probably a little bit of both. But if truth be told, I really believe that all problems start from within us. And ironically, we're compelled to look inward for solutions. Because as I said at the beginning of the show, I strongly believe that we have come into this world with everything that we need for life in terms of our gifts, graces, talents, skills, and so forth. So if we know where the problem lies... Why then do we keep making the same mistakes over and over again and again? Is it all in our heads? Well, that's not a bad place to start. Okay? see, Basically, neural pathways in our brain are created whenever uh, we do something right. Okay? But unfortunately, a neural pathway is also created when we do something wrong. And so we basically build up habits this way, both good and bad, okay, the positive ones and the negative ones. And so, you know, again, some would say that the reason we keep making the same mistakes over and over again is that we slip back in into like a default mode, into like an an old familiar, existing neural pathway or pathways. And, uh, you know, another way to the maybe look at these neural pathways is also to, you know, could be the reason why athletes practice so much. I mean, they're, they're not only strengthening and training their bodies to perform, but also, you know, they are creating positive neural pathways by envisioning themselves accomplishing great things on the field or the mat or the court. Now, if you can see yourself being successful, then you will achieve it. So again, as above, so below, as within, so without. And I remember uh, reading a story long, long time ago that this is how Mickey Mantle taught himself to hit various curve balls and sliders and breaking balls and so forth. He would literally stand in the batter's box with a bat. And he would imagine the pitch coming toward him, and he would imagine a fastball, and he would swing. Of course, the ball wasn't coming, so he was swinging, and you know, he was swinging air. But he would see himself hitting a fastball, and then he would see himself hitting a curveball, or he would hear uh, see himself hitting a slider or another breaking ball or something. And he was creating those positive neural pathways. And, you know, the same is also true when let's say a baseball player gets into a slump and they, you know, they don't hit or pitch or field well. And that could be very frustrating to not only them, but also to the team. And of course the manager and, and everybody else. And these players have always like needed to find a way to get out of that slump. Before personal doubts take over, and they have created their own negative neural pathways. So the best way to get out of a slump is to keep on practicing and keep seeing yourself performing well. And sooner or later, they will actually be doing well, and they'll get out of that slump. But, um, you know, you watch the games this this season, you're going to hear the announcers, well, so-and-so has been hitless in so many games, and they just seem to be in a slump. They don't stay there. They find ways to get out of a slump. And so what does that mean for you and for me? Well, quite frankly, we need to identify what triggers us. You know, in other words, you know, the triggers which make it so easy to slip back into a bad habit, even though you know deep down inside, like uh, I'm, you know, I told myself I'm never going to do that again. Okay. Well, uh, think back to a time when you helped out another person who was in need. Okay. Remember the good feeling you had afterwards. I mean, even if you spent all day helping others, you know, and you were dead tired, and all you could do is you just came home. I don't even know if you, you know, threw yourself into a hot tub or you just ended up sleeping on the couch or whatever. You're just dead tired. You could still recall feeling good about what you were able to do for other people. And in that way, you already created or maybe you even reinforced a positive neural pathway for other times to easily follow that pathway. So, Think about when you made a recurring mistake or you hurt another person. Uh, You know, whatever you have said or done, you know, did create or reinforce a negative neural pathway in the brain. And we all have met people who are chronically negative about everything in life. Even if something good happens to them, they're going to find a way to complain about something. It's, It's almost as if they are incapable of being happy. Well, that just might be so, because consider the negative neuropathways that they have created in their brain over time. Well, you've heard me mention this book before, um, which, again, happens to be one of my favorites, which is always on my bookshelf. And that is The Four Things That Matter the Most by Ira Bayok. The four things that matter the most. And in this book, Bayok writes about three simple things gratitude, forgiveness, and love. But he does so all by helping people say what they need to say to a dying loved one. And this is a time in which you have so much you want to say to a person, but you don't know where to begin. You just don't know what to say. And so He says if you are kind of stumbling over your words or you know what you want to say but you don't know how to say it or you don't even know what to say, he says, begin with these four statements. Forgive me. I forgive you. Thank you. And I love you. Four easy, easy statements. In fact, one of his quotes from the book is is how forgiveness is a passage to a sanctuary of wholeness, that nurturing place where we feel intimately connected to the people who matter the most to us. It is a place of healing and transformation because in it, he says, we feel the perfect fullness of the present that sounds like creating, reinforcing positive neuropathways to me, okay? And whenever we reflect on or say these things to a loved one who's dying, we are creating these positive neuropathways. Uh, but you know, what Bioc is really saying in this book is that, you know, for us not to wait until the, these, let's say, final days to say these things to our loved ones but rather what's keeping us from saying these things to each other now. And he comes around and he says, look, tell the people in your life right now that you love them. Tell the people right now in your life, you forgive them. Tell the people right now in your life that you want to be forgiven. And he says, and by all means, be grateful for the very little things in your life, especially things and people that we can so easily overlook and take for granted. Create the best environment for good habits to thrive in by creating and reinforcing positive neuropathways pathways in the brain. And you know we need to replace or transform you know the psychological, emotional, and spiritual energy into life-giving, Energy. Okay, so yeah, we can talk about the neurological pathways, but let's also bring in the energy, which everything is a part of. Because you know, how many times we find ourselves just—it's so easy to pick up negative emotional energy in the form of, let's say, strong feelings of uh, uh, one—you know—a person's hate or jealousy or envy or ego. But then. What do we do with it? Well, imagine sitting with a fire in front of you, or maybe beside you. you know, each day we can set our intention to, to send these negative, destructive emotions into the fire so that it will be transmuted out into the universe. But we're not finished at that point, you know, Because, again, if you've been listening to me for a while, you know that I am very fond of the metaphor of the fact that we live at an echo. So whatever we send out eventually returns to us in the same energy, unless it has been transformed, right? As within, so without. As above, so below. So we do live in an echo. Whatever we send out will come back to us. But if we're picking up negative energy from people, we have to be able to transform it. And so just a very clever way, very powerful way, I should say, to be doing this is sending it into a fire and allow the fire to carry that negative emotional energy or spiritual energy or whatever um, negativity it might be out into the universe. And imagine it being transformed, but it has to be sent back to us as well. So let's say we you know, are around a person who's just you know, a lot of bitterness and just uh, toxicity in terms of their negativity. And we, just, we feel like we've picked that up somewhere somehow, and we just come home and we feel drained by it. Uh, well, as we send that into the fire you know, and we allow the universe to transform it, you know, ask that it comes back in the form of a blessing. Or ask that it be coming back as, um, you know, just very positive, wonderful joy or peace or positive energy in some way. Okay? Um, again, you know, this is uh, the general principle of, let's say, karma or we're just reaping what we sow or what goes around comes around. Um, anything that comes from us goes out, but it also returns to us. So we must transform any kind of negative energy that we experience in the form of these psychological, emotional, physical, and spiritual wounds. And we know that we can hold stress and tension, even trauma in the body, the mind, the emotions, and the spirit, even down to that cellular level, because cell memory holds all of our experiences. So that when something reminds us of an experience that was, let's say, beautiful or pleasant or horrific— or traumatic, we can be pulled back into those experiences at any given moment. So, to transform the negative energy we may be experiencing, we first must become aware that we just might be holding on to it, even if we are unwilling. Well, I would really love to hear what's on your heart about this subject. So again, if you'd like to call in, I invite you to by uh, calling the toll-free number 888-627-6008. That's 888-627-6008. And I'll be taking your calls after the break. Again, you are listening to Reclaiming Authenticity, and I'm your host, Dr. James Halk. Be back with you in one minute. Hi, welcome back. I am Dr. James Houck, and you are listening to Reclaiming Authenticity. As I mentioned earlier in the show, these broadcasts are podcasted now, in case you want to go back and listen again, or if you can't be with me the full hour, I invite you to go back into the archives and listen to the previous shows. Just visit the website www.bbsradio.com forward slash reclaiming authenticity. And I also just want to remind you again that uh, to tune into a special 100th episode broadcast that's coming up in three weeks on Friday, June the 10th, 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, noon Pacific Standard Time, right here on bbsradio.com Station One. And uh, this is not only going to be my 100th episode, it's also going to mark the beginning of my third year Uh, broadcasting with uh, BBS Radio. And what will make this broadcast extra special is that I would like you to pick the topic for me to discuss on the air that day. Anything you would like to hear or talk about related to the integration of mental health and spirituality. And so just drop me a few lines. Uh, Just drop me uh, an email right at www.bbsradio.com forward slash reclaiming authenticity. Well, whether it is a blind spot in our lives or an inability to recognize our old thought patterns or we're unable to learn from our past, we do keep making the same mistakes over and over again. And as I said, this concept is nothing new to history because we have quotes out there like this, that those who fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. And, you know, I keep sitting with that that statement, and it's a powerful statement because it is true. It's just, well, that explains why history repeats itself. But is it really history? Because what if we flip this perception around a bit, and just for a moment, consider the notion that perhaps history is never the part that repeats itself. What if every single historical moment, okay, is just separate and distinct from what has happened before? So where then is the repetition? Where then is the duplication of the same mistakes and the patterns of behavior? Where are they coming from? You see, maybe it's not that history repeats itself, but rather maybe it is the fact that we keep passing down those old perceptions and patterns that have not changed. You know, just those uh, ways about us where we say, well, you know, that's just the way the world is. And so we just have to keep doing. And what are you going to do? Or maybe we kick the can, so to speak, down the road to the next generation and uh, the old mentalities or the old perceptions or the old patterns and old playbooks just keep getting fitted into new circumstances. You see, if nothing changes, it just might be because our responses and reactions and expectations and fears and assumptions about familiar events. Well, that, those things cause us to repeat our mistakes over and over again. And folks, unless we change from the inside... Those external realities out there, those historical events, those, those, those things that uh, we point to in the world and just say, what a mess, those external realities will continue to manifest or mirror our inner reality. And this is typically why lessons are repeated over and over again until we learn those lessons. And this is basically the law of correspondence that I shared a little bit before the break. The, you know, the law of correspondence states that pretty much what happens around us is a di- direct reflection of what's happening within us. Well, if you remember your days in school, okay, you've had chemistry class and, uh, you, know, uh, you know, that physical alchemy was and is concerned with altering and transforming chemical properties within solid matter. Okay, and a good example of this is changing lead into gold okay and, but spiritual alchemy is concerned with freeing our let's say our vast spiritual self which is being hindered you know in us by those unrefined parts of ourselves Those things such as our fears, or limited personal beliefs, or feelings of self-loathing, or uh, maladaptive behaviors, or cognitive distortions. You see, those are the things that really need to change, to transform within us if we expect the external reality to change. And spiritual alchemy is vastly more multifaceted. It's fluid. It's ongoing. It's... It's I always liken it to a continuous purification of our hearts, you know much in the same way that a you know an ironsmith will turn up the heat beneath a hopper that contains raw mineral or metal, and as the heat is is increased, the dross or impurities come to the surface only to be skimmed off and making the metal purer than what it was before. Then this process is repeated over and over again and again until the metal reaches its finest purity that it can be. So we too are going through a process of spiritual alchemy of authenticity, shall we say, that is a call and an urging to move into higher dimensions of our authentic selves. Because how often does it feel like the heat is being turned up through, let's say, past and current events throughout the world? And therefore, when going through the process of, let's say, a spiritual awakening, sooner or later we are confronted with the fact that there seems so much more to ourselves than the reality we are living in, and what we have grown accustomed to. But still, we may find ourselves struggling with how we are triggered by certain events in the world, and yet, at the same time. You know, we want to have a more intentional progression in our spirituality. We want to find the courage to let go of all the non-life-giving perceptions and experiences in order to embrace more of our higher dimension, more of our authentic selves. And we just want to have a desire to live exclusively from a heart space that radiates pure light and unconditional love. And ironically, uh, this can be a very unnerving state or place that we find ourselves in, you know, especially, you know, from time to time, especially if we feel like all we have known is starting to crumble and evaporate around us. And we can become so unsure of not only ourselves, but also whether or not if all that we see is all that there is. I mean, is the external world really reflecting what's going on inside of us? Absolutely. And yet, it's we who can weather those storms. And when we do that, we may also discover that something greater than ourselves is tugging at our soul. You call it a stronger nudge from God, or a more intense dimensional energy, or even a hunger. That resonates deep within by compelling us to go and search and discover the vastness of who we truly are. And as we go on this journey, we may discover that there are things we need to let go of, or things that we ident- you know, need to identify, or things that we need to transform in order to embrace a higher, more you know, intense dimensions. In other words, we can rise above those negative mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual triggers that keep us from experiencing the fullness of unconditional love in this world. So, what do we do when, let's say, the universe begins to turn up the heat on this purification process? What do we do once we are aware that, uh, okay, this feels like I'm being tested? feels like i'm being tried well i have a lakota friend of mine who explained to me one day that uh, when we are tested and tried let's say by the fire of the universe he says it's it's god's way to see if we are real you know are, are we committed are we serious in our intentions to seek god for all the right reasons And this is why, he says, the fire of image is so often used in this purification process, because fire is transformative. It changes wood into gas, dust, smoke, and eventually returns to us in the form of rain, snow, and at times, ice. So, he says, once we become aware of this process, He says all we need to do is to surrender to it. Because who do you think those desires in our hearts begin with? Yes, God meets us exactly where we are, but God also wants us to come to higher dimensions of our self-awareness. And as a result, God transforms us, moves us beyond, shall we say, lower vibrational thinking. And when this occurs... I always say, fasten that seatbelt and hang on. because you see, spiritual alchemy is both transforming and transcending. It's transforming in that we are going to be changed and we are going to be changing others through the fact that we are different. And how we deal with ourselves is going to be a direct relation of how we deal with others. Again, as within, so without. And spiritual alchemy is also transcending. It's going to pull us out of our comfort zones. It's going to pull us into places that we never thought we would be. Not just physical places, but I mean spiritual places and emotional places and psychological places. You know, it's just going to move us into new areas because we're ready. So yes, spiritual alchemy is both transforming and transcending. Well, in the book, The Alchemist, another favorite book of mine, uh, the main character, Santiago, is having a discussion with his heart one evening as he's trying to come to terms with the fears that he feels so deeply. And he not only talks with his heart, but he listens to the heart. And he, he says, that I heard my heart say, That people are afraid to pursue their most important dreams because they feel like they don't deserve them or that they will be unable to achieve them. But we, their hearts, become fearful just thinking of loved ones who go away forever or of moments that could have been good but weren't or of treasures that might have been found but were forever hidden in the sands. Or, let's put it another way here, what is it that dies inside a people while they live? There are certainly things that are very precious in us that we cannot afford to let die. Hope, peace, forgiveness, compassion, love, grace, understanding, and so forth. But how often... As we are living, we're dying inside and letting those most precious things wither. So apart from creating and reinforcing the positive neural pathways in order to stop us from making the same mistakes over and over again, how does our DNA actually shift on a cellular level? I mean, we already know that Meditation decreases blood pressure and it lowers heart rate. It, it, you know, lowers respiration, helps us sleep more soundly, releases a bunch of, you know, little endorphins, you know, just coursing through the bloodstream. It releases more oxytocin and, uh, just all wonderful neurotransmitters. Well, interestingly enough, um, you know, research in the area of near-death experiences have shown to affect people in terms of this emotional, psychological, physical, even a spiritual, shall we say, a benign virus. That they have such a radical shift in their awareness, desires, etc., that they are never the same as a result of coming back, what they have seen, what they have experienced, and so forth. But what is this shift that occurs in us, moving from, let's say, carbon energy to more crystalline energy? You know it, it involves releasing of unneeded energies and replacing them with higher vibrations of love and light. And how we do this is through forgiveness. How we do this is through gratitude. Coming back to Biox's book here. What are the four things that you need to say to the loved ones who are living today? Forgive me. I forgive you. Thank you. I love you. Talk about creating positive neural pathways. It also re- releases just a whole lot of stagnant negative energy and replaces it with the higher vibrations of love and light and understanding. Well, as a society, we already know that cell memory occurs when we hold trauma in the body. You know, it can change our cells. It can change our genes. And and this is what the study of epigenetics is all about. And the studies that uh, came out of the traumatic experiences of World War II, as well as uh, other atrocities, whereby the trauma was for lack of a better word, stamped on people's DNA and, excuse me, passed along to future generations. And this is where the studies of intergenerational trauma came from or even complex trauma. And when we shift into this higher consciousness or vibration, you know, that too creates a change in our DNA and we can break up the trauma that has altered the genes. Same thing is true with our mental health. I mean, you know, there is such a thing as crystallized intelligence, which encompasses everything we have learned and experiences and what we have heard or tasted and emotions we have felt. And all of these experiences are held in this crystallized intelligence, which has been shown to become stronger and resilient over time. And another way in which we can shift into a higher vibrational consciousness is also listening to the wisdom of those who have gone before us, or those who have experienced much in this life. Because within those experiences come very precious wisdom teachings that we need to integrate into our lives. But even within something so strong as our crystallized intelligence, there are unhealthy patterns of behaviors and distorted perspectives that need to be dissolved and released as well. I mean, you're never too old to experience a radical shift in your vibrational awareness of your true, vast self. And these vibrational shifts certainly show themselves in and through relationships. You know, more people become you know more loving, uh, more patient, more forgiving with ourselves and with others. And as we are uh, ascending in our awareness, shall we say, it also affects us physically. But whenever we look to taking care of the, the physical needs of another, it always has a spiritual effect or awakening in the other person on some level. In other words, the soul is touched too. And as we begin this process of higher dimensional relationship with God, we are going to be reminded of all the negative psychological, emotional and spiritual patterns within our relationships that keep us stuck in the past. It's going to keep us from making the same mistakes uh, you know or I should say it's going to allow us to make those same mistakes over and over and over again. And yet it's a daily surrender, or shall we say, say yes, to being led by our soul's desires that keep us connected with God and the universe. So we let go of the former in order to take on more life-giving by changing the energy of those things. Again, as within, so without. We let go more easily because we're no longer controlled by fear. Compelled out of everlasting love and grace. Well, I've shared with you the metaphor of the fire of transformation. And as we sit with ourselves and negative thoughts or emotions, uh, as those things come up to our awareness, we can send that energy into the fire. And, um you know, we can ask for the negative energy to be transformed into gifts that honor and sustain the mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual body and heighten our awareness and vibration of our higher selves and in doing so, over time, we discover that um, you know we no longer wish to find peace or find grace or show me the love, but rather. We are the ones who are the peace, grace, and love. And we will give off that powerful vibration, that that sense of beingness that generates powerful energy field or vibrant aura. Others can tell this about us even before we speak. We know We no longer have to worry about what we're going to say in any given situation. We can simply be. And we find ourselves being fully present with ourselves and others, as well as you know, begin to experience God in the most unlikely places, through the most unlikely people, which is actually where God has been found all along. Well, we can certainly grow in our understanding of who we are, and we can experience the presence of God each day. But just how we connect with God, how do we maintain that? Well, I've shared with you more than one occasion about just how much a special place that India is for me. It's uh, actually not a place I consider; it's rather a state of being. It's a state of awareness. Um, you know, we often hear people talk about angels, and sometimes. Um, you know, people might say, well, they've you know, well, if you saw something out of the ordinary, you were having an audible or visual or tactile hallucination. And uh science and spiritualities have always parted ways for the longest time with, with intergenerational trauma. And yet we can hear the cries of our ancestors and others who are stuck in that negative energy and mindset of the past. But there's also a fifth dimensional energy, an energy that heals and restores a place where there is no fear, but it also places a tremendous amount of responsibility on people in this dimension because it's not meant to be hoarded. It's not meant to be hidden. It's intended to be shared and blessed and gifted for others. So if you want to change your mind and stop manifesting negativity in your life, as well as moving into a higher spiritual dimension relationship with God, yourself, and others, focus on forgiveness, gratitude, and love, and bring those things into your heart. Because as we heal and move out of our woundedness, we uh, catch glimpses of being pulled into, shall we say, a non-linear awareness of who we are. And with each new day, it creates its own wonderful, wonderful living experiences. Higher dimensions of our awareness and and our awareness with God and the universe allows us to live in the pure light of unconditional love. Knowing that we all are connected. We are one. Our relationships are limitless. No longer perceived as being bound by time or space. And living in higher dimension of our awareness also means that we live from our hearts. We connect through our hearts, and we can feel the connection and love instantly. And through this, we can discover and rediscover our true creative power. And all experiences then are embraced with gratitude, as the soul knows that everything has its purpose for our growth and expansion of consciousness. The key is to remain teachable and aware at all times. So I leave you with the the quote earlier from Richard Rohr, your true self is who you are and always have been in God. I'm Dr. James Houck, and you have been listening to Reclaiming Authenticity. Thank you for spending this hour with me. And and again, I invite you to. Drop me your thoughts in the email just by visiting the website. And don't forget, in a couple of weeks, we'll have that 100th episode where I'm looking forward to uh, reading your suggestions about what uh, we can talk about that day. So in the meantime, until we uh, talk again, everybody be safe, everybody behave themselves, and may God hold all of us in the palm of God's hands. Take care. For an answer, or just to leave a thousand comments, or prodding to buy a book by Dr. Hauk, it's all there. Just wander on over to reclaimingauthenticity.com and click around. And we'll see you next Friday at noon Pacific time on PBS Radio TV.